Live from the Thomas and Mac, it's Cofield and Company. No one, and I mean no one, is going to outwork this guy. The man has unstoppable energy. Steve Cofield. We like Steve. <laughs> but we don't love Steve. It's Cofield and Company with Steve Cofield on ESPN Las Vegas. And we know it because we feel it in our bones. Rocking and rolling. Five o'clock hour is here. We're up on video right now on Facebook and YouTube and Twitter. Check out the Big Five. Thomas and Mac is the site. Adam Candy is here. It's Cofield. Ari's back in the Finley Toyota Studios. We got semifinal night. Should be a really good one in the Mountain West Conference Tournament as the top four teams made the semis. Kind of sucks because UNLV could have. Made the semis. We'll get to UNLV in a couple of minutes. What's going on with the Golden Knights? Max Crosby now in the fold with an extended deal. I wanted to mention one last thing, a carryover from what Candy was talking about with the officials. He is an, uh, an official, so uh, he's our uh, insider. And a guy will take up for the officials every once in a while. And to your point that you just made a couple minutes ago about how it's not easy to call these games, um, I'm sitting courtside for most of these games, and – I have to admit, in you know live action, I can't tell a lot of times. I'll look up at the screen and I'm like, "Oh, there, come on, well, clearly!" Like, but you know, they don't get the benefit of the replays. They got to call it on the spot, so it's not an easy job. Um, and the last point I wanted to make, Candy, was the coaches that are the most demonstrative often have the fan bases that feel like they get screwed the most. The San Diego State fan base. If you read Twitter, Aztec fan reaction to games, you would think San Diego State is on the wrong side of the fouls by a 30-10 to 10 count every game. The league hates them. The country's officials hate them, which could not be further from the truth. But when a coach complains all the time, oftentimes the fans are going to reflect the way that coach behaves. Battleborn Injury Lawyers presents the Big Five at Five, number five. Can you imagine being that angry about anything living in San Diego? I mean, really. You 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 live in San Diego. All everything is everything is easy breezy beach life. You can live with a bad charge call now and then. Not that bad. Farewell to uh, Bryce Hamilton, unless the Rebels get an invite to the NIT. He finishes up as a top 10 scorer in UNLV history, 1,773 points, even against real aggressive defense last night, double teaming all over the floor. He still finished with 22 and was decently efficient. Although, you know what? I will say Wyoming's defense, because they – jumped into traps off of a high pick situation. And then even with the, as they were calling it, the ghost screen, what Bryce had a lot of was the ability to drive hard to about 13 feet and then step back. 
and that's exactly the shot. I mean, he's going to make a lot of them, but that's exactly the shot by analytics that you really don't want elite scorers taking, right, Candy? There's a misperception that the mid-range jumper is terrible for everybody. If you are a DeMar DeRozan-level shooter and you can make that mid-range better than everybody else can, then it's efficient. Then take it. But when we talk about mid-range jumpers, the idea is if you can't make that shot regularly, if you're an average shooter, it's a bad shot. Step back and take the three or get to the basket. If you're Bryce Hamilton, you're probably somewhere on the positive side of take that mid-range shot because of the fact that the defense has to respect you getting downhill, so odds are you're going to get a pretty good look from the mid-range. But at the same time, what do you really want if you're Bryce Hamilton? You want to get all the way downhill, you want to draw the defense in, you want to maybe get to the line, or you want to kick out to a shooter. That is a better option for UNLV in the end. 18-14, and 10-9 in conference. Uh, I believe last night a win over Wyoming makes UNLV a lock to get into the NIT. Kevin Kruger, the coach, was asked about his interest in going to the NIT. Would he like to do it? I would really hope so. We would absolutely love to. I think this team kind of deserves that sort of uh, you know recognition. I know there's a, a, a whole bunch of teams that deserve to be in there. For, for 10 guys to come together, stay together, deal with a, what they've dealt with this year, COVID pause, injuries, et cetera, as a new group, and fight a team like Wyoming down to the wire and have the run they kind of had to finish the year, I, I would love for the NIT committee to, to take notice of that and invite us, and we would absolutely be... Be, be very proud of them for earning a postseason berth. Candy, would this be good for the program to go to the NIT? 100%. This team not only should take a bid if it gets it, UNLV as a school should be putting in a bid to host. And this team in particular would go into the NIT with, if not the single best player in the NIT, then one of the top two or three in Bryce Hamilton. The NIT wants UNLV because the NIT needs Bryce Hamilton. You need to see that kind of player on the NIT stage. If you're going to go out there and try to be the 69th best team in the country, that's the kind of player you want in your tournament. Number four. The long national nightmare that everyone cared about is over. Major League Baseball ended the lockout yesterday. As Ari stated behind the scenes, uh, that means we'll probably a good three minutes every show to baseball now. Um, we had a boycott on the show. I was very angry. I was very angry. You know what I need? The soothing words of Bobby Manfred, and I'll feel better. I do want to start by apologizing to our fans. I know that the last few months have been difficult. There was a lot of uncertainty um, at a point in time when there's a lot of uncertainty in the world. Um, sort of the way the process of collective bargaining works sometimes, but I, I, I do apologize for it. He's so smooth, isn't he? And so believable. Uh, a fan-friendly guy. You really want to embrace him. Um, is that how collective bargaining works? You wait until the last minute, uh, talk for four days up until a deadline, then take days off? Or uh, maybe could it work by actually speaking months out of deadlines? Could, could we do that next time around? I guess not. I think collective bargaining works by one side locking out the other. And as you said, Gofield, then not speaking to them for a and a half. Right. And then not offering a counterproposal when one side, the locked outside, tells you what they're willing to do. So, you know, it's, it, I appreciate the fact that Big Bobby stepped up right there and apologized. And he said he understands there's a lot of uncertainty in the world right now. Right, Steve? There's a lot. Like, we're figuring out what to do with COVID. We might have 
a world war on our hands. We need a little bit of entertainment. We need a little bit of a distraction. We need our former national pastime. I need baseball back. You need baseball back. But you know what, man? I understand that's how collective bargaining goes. And I appreciate the fact that I appreciate the fact that Bobby stood up for the best interest of 30 billionaires. And I accept his apology. Are you going to run to the ticket window and be a chump and jump right into the seats at a major league stadium this season? 100%. Of course you are. Look, look, man, I'm, I, I've admitted it before. I'll admit it again. I have total Stockholm syndrome with Rob Manfred. I love my captor. I love the man who brings me all this pain. I don't care if he's kept me locked in a basement for the last three months wondering if there was going to be a baseball season at all. I understand that he needed to bleed that stone as hard as he could and get three more nickels for the owners in Pittsburgh who are going to stick them directly into their pockets and never spend a dollar of them to make their teams better. I get that. I respect him for it. Hit me again, Rob. Hit me harder because I like it, and I'm going to go pay for some hot dogs and beers in Anaheim. Number three. I had more, but that was (laughs) Hit me again, Rob. Uh, that's dynamite. Okay, Hurts so good. We've had a lot of disagreements on this show. We've been arguing about what the Raiders should do: retool, rebuild, reload, get better. You know, tear it down. Um, and it's been split. The argument that the Golden Knights need to go and get a goaltender because Robin Leonard ain't gonna be there when you need him. I've been on an island on this one. Where are you now, Candy? Because this is frustrating. They're not playing well. They're losing to bad teams. Poor Robin Leonard is not healthy again. Where are you? Is that island Oahu? Because I've been in that crowd with you. Uh, You have not been all by yourself on this one. Uh, Robin Leonard is clearly hurt and was clearly hurt even before the Golden Knights admitted he had another injury that they sent him back to Las Vegas to get checked for. If you at this point of the season are sending Robin Leonard off this road trip, that should tell you what the severity of the injury is. And you have to read into it because the Golden Knights will never tell you what the actual severity of the injury is. We are less than a week away from the trade deadline. Bill Foley has made it clear that this is always a championship or bust team Whatever you have to do, even if it costs you one of your forwards, you have to get a more reliable goaltender than what Robin Leonard gives you because of his injury status right now. The island I was on, I guess I was uh, more thinking back to the decision between Marc-Andre Fleury Uh, and Robin Leonard. And at the time I said, I don't think Leonard is reliable enough, but he does have more trade value. So keep math, extend him out a year, move Leonard. And I tried to bet everyone on games played for the season, but – uh, as as you know, as we're all well aware, uh, making bets on the show can be a little difficult. So, it's it's dangerous. You don't you don't want to get involved in uh, in one of those wagering situations where you have no idea if someone will actually pay up. Well, I wanted to go low fifties, uh, like you know fifty three and a half games played for Leonard, but the number started to get pushed into the high forties, and then I got spooked. But looks like that's where it's going to wind up, a little lower than that. And the other piece of this equation is that. The Golden Knights didn't go out and do what they did last year. Look, they spent $12 million last year to have Marc-Andre Fleury and Robin Leonard in net. 
and they decided to change that up this year. They, they needed to get under the cap. They chose the franchise icon as their way to get under the cap, but they went to a guy who is clearly a backup instead of having a 1B. Robin Leonard was your 1B. Laurent Brassois is a 2. And this team can't afford for a 2 to be taking starts at this point of the season because your number 1 is hurt. So right now, the Vegas Golden Knights have one need at the trade deadline. And right now they're down 2-1 to one to the Penguins here in the second period after giving up the first two goals of the game with Brassois in net. And that need is... Whatever you have to do to manage this cap, you have got to go get a more reliable goaltender. Number two. You know, we can look back and look at a lot of bad personnel moves by the Mayock-Gruden combination. The draft picks, a lot of them have been you know, downright bad, especially first-round picks. The free agent savior was supposed to be Corey Littleton, and this was a misread. This was a miss. Two different defensive coordinators couldn't really get the best out of Littleton. And, you know, now the the new regime is going to move on, but it's going to cost him, Candy. It is amazing just how badly the Mayock-Gruden era missed in free agency. I mean, you could point to a couple of guys like Hunter Renfro and Max Crosby from the draft and say, yeah, you know, they had their moments in the draft. But Corey Littleton was a disaster for this team. Pro football focus grades of 47 and 48 the last two years. Among the worst lines in the league and Cofield they are going to be on the hook for 14 million dollars in dead cap including 10 million dollars next year I can't believe that some of the mouthpieces out there in the Vegas media were talking about the cap savings on Corey Littleton the savings that they're going to get is less than the dead money that they're going to have to eat $10 $10 million next year on Corey Littleton. Now, there's an argument to be made that he's so bad that you need to just cut your losses and move on. Two defensive coordinators couldn't get it out of him. Corey Littleton did have four years of improving PFF grades with the Rams before he came over to Vegas. But I think when you look at all of the improvement that Gus Bradley was able to get out of so many players on that defense, and Corey Littleton wasn't one of them, I think the Raiders felt like it was time. Number one. Max Crosby in the fold. Pretty cool deal for him. Fighting back from uh, alcoholism. I just saw him uh, post his tattoo. He's got a two-year anniversary now of uh, getting sober on 310. Posted that picture uh, yesterday or this morning. And you feel good for a guy with a story like this who's overcome something. He was also not you know, a lock to play in the NFL was a mid-round pick. He's been tremendous, was super productive a year ago. And if the Raiders are right on this, I'm okay with the money. And I think I think he's going to be a productive player unless there's an injury issue. But the numbers come down with a four-year extension worth $95 million in new money, $53 million guaranteed. Got to start somewhere, right? You got to build it somewhere. And Max Crosby's a good, a good guy to build it around, Candy. Max Crosby as a human being is absolutely the person you want representing this franchise. His story is fantastic. He has done nothing but stand up and be the guy that you would want an organization coming into a new city to represent them as. So bravo for Max Crosby for overcoming his personal demons and for getting himself paid. And I am for every player who bets on themselves and goes and gets themselves paid. 
Steve, you just said something, though, that should not ever be said in the situation that the Raiders are in. If the Raiders are right. If you're going to pay Max Crosby this money, the kind of money you didn't want to pay Khalil Mack, then one season of elite performance before you give a guy nearly $100 million, $53 million guaranteed, is a risk. It is the risk that the Raiders had no choice but to take, though. After Khalil Mack. Because Khalil Mack is the reason that Max Crosby got this contract. The Raiders were not going to do it again. They were not going to make the mistake that John Gruden made getting all up in his feelings that he couldn't get Khalil Mack on the phone and trade a potential All-Pro. Now here's the thing. Khalil Mack had three seasons of elite performance for the Raiders leading into his ask after the 2017 season for a new contract. It was clear. There was no if the Raiders are right with Khalil Mack. There is question with Max Crosby because of the fact that last year was the first year we saw Max Crosby put it together. I know, people hate the PFF grades after a while, but they speak a lot about these players. 57.8 grade in 2020, 65.4 in 19. His performance actually decreased in year two, and it picked up precipitously in year three. Elite, just like Khalil Mack. You've seen it for one year, though. Raiders boxed themselves in after what they did with Khalil Mack. They had to give it to Max Crosby. I am thrilled for Max Crosby that he got it. But am I convinced that next year, here on March 11th, we're going to be sitting here saying that was the right choice by the Raiders? I really wish I was. Let's do our Porta Subs giveaway every Friday. We hook you guys up with a six-foot classic sub. Caller 7364-1100 wins the six-foot classic sub from Porta Subs. You can get... Your own at 20-plus locations around Las Vegas. Don't forget Tuesdays, uh, BOGO. You uh, get 50% off any two-foot classic sub with the purchase of another two-foot classic sub. And uh, you can also, by going through their app, uh, earn double points on all, all mobile orders, if I can speak. Uh, 364-1100, caller 7. We'll give away a six-foot classic subs. Sub, uh, my God. Courtesy of Porta Subs. Thanks to Porta Subs and our friends at Finley, Volvo, Cars, Las Vegas. It's the Big Five at Five, brought to you by Battleborn Injury Lawyers. If you've been injured, call Justin Watkins at Battleborn Injury Lawyers, 570-9000. I, I could not be more proud to say that I, I wore the same jersey uh, that these guys are, that wore this year because we, we talked from day one about uh, having a, a sense of pride and putting a team out there that the city and the community and the alums are, would be proud of. And if and we told him if, if we can do that, we'll be all right. Cofield and Company. Cofield and Company. Kevin Kruger, after losing last night, UNLV bumped from the Mountain West Conference quarterfinals. Four-point lead, two minutes left. Got outscored 7 nothing down the stretch. Good coaching on the side of Wyoming. We'll give out some picks for tonight's semis. In just a little bit. You can get your tickets. Still get down here. UNLVtickets.com. First game tips at 630. Um, I'll mention some breaking news in college basketball just to uh, keep the discussion going right after 530. Missouri, Desiree Reed Francois, the AD, has fired Conzo Martin. Men's basketball coach. So we'll get to that. little reaction to that one. So we have time to debate this all summer, and especially after we see what rosters look like in the NFL, in the AFC West, and what the draft looks like. Um, 
I saw that you pointed out our good buddy uh, Jay to the Brick over on Raider Nation Radio had tweeted there are at least 15 NFL insiders who said on the record last March that quote the Broncos and Chargers have a better roster than the Raiders. Las Vegas swept Denver for the second straight year. And also knocked L.A. out of playoff contention. Here we go. Keep track. Like I said, it's a little early to be comparing rosters because they're not complete yet. Do you think the Raiders right now have a better roster candy than the Chargers and the Broncos? The Raiders have the worst roster in the AFC West, and it is not by a small amount. And I'm Ari, not an NFL clip insider. the audio and send it to JT right now. Here we go. I am not an NFL insider. I am not one of the 15. By the way, I I'm, I'm, can't wait to see the receipts on that one. I, I want to know which NFL insiders are among the 15, because if there are at least 15, I don't know. It sounds like OJ out there looking for the real killers. God only knows how many there actually are that did this. Who knows how many people have violated the Raiders like that. So I get it. They, they ended up sweeping Denver last year. And what, they lost once to the Chargers and got a last-second field goal to beat them in overtime to split with them last year? Okay. 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 Check back with me. Let's see. It's March 11th. We haven't done the draft or free agency yet. <laughs> yeah, check back with me in a little bit. Let's see what the Raiders do. But right now it's the worst. I will go out on this limb. I'm not as high on the Broncos as everyone else is because while they may have improved, one of my biggest points with the Broncos going into last year, whether you like the roster or not, was that they had the worst head coach in the division. And I still think the Broncos have the worst head coach in the division. I'm not real sure that Nathaniel Hackett is going to be some great NFL head coach. Uh, there is the worry that much of his rep was built by working with one of the best quarterbacks in football. And I'm not saying he's Adam Gase, but we know what happened with Adam Gase, right? Nate Hackett, before he worked with Aaron Rodgers, was in Buffalo where he was underwhelming. Coached at Syracuse where he was underwhelming. Like, what do we know about the guy? There's no lock that... He's going to be an equal for Andy Reid, for Staley, for Josh McDaniels. So you're concerned about Hackett is that he's an offensive coordinator who was made to look better by his quarterback, and we don't know what he's going to become as a head coach. So basically what you have is the scrub-clean version of Josh McDaniels' resume, right? Because that's Josh McDaniels. And what we already know is that according to, and I'm going to use our friend Ryan Harris, former Denver Bronco who played under <laughs> Josh McDaniels, uh, what the words he used earlier this week on the show, he said, quote, he's an a-hole. So he says he really thinks that Josh McDaniels would have to have grown up quite a lot in order to become a good head coach, and maybe he has. He certainly acknowledged that he had problems in Denver, but... Right now, if you're ranking the head coaches in the division, it's kind of Andy Reid and everybody else. Cofield and company will be back in minutes right here on ESPN Las Vegas. You are listening to Cofield and company live from the Thomas and Mac. 
T&M. Mountain West Conference semifinals coming up in less than an hour. Rebels are out. They wait to see if the NIT will come calling. Uh, I can virtually guarantee if they had beaten Wyoming, they were going to the NIT. And I think they were hoping for a home game. So home game's not going to happen. Maybe they get into the NIT, which means they'd be on the road Tuesday or Wednesday. So we'll find out tomorrow after the NCAA bracket is out. So let's say they don't get the invite. Let's look ahead a little bit. One, Candy, how do you feel about the program with the close last night? You know, you lose a tight game. I think some of the adjustments on offense were made a little bit too late. Great defense. I mean, awesome defense against Maldonado and especially Graham E.K. They shut uh, E.K. down. They shut both of them down in both of the games, really. So give them credit on that. I was sitting there, you know, watching the, the, the post game, reading a lot of the reaction on Twitter about where the program is now. And, and Kevin Kruger's very likable. You know, there's a, there's a relationship, you know, with the family, with Kevin as a player going all the way back into, you know, the uh, mid-2000s, right? So there's a good feeling around it. Um, but, like, as a, the, the team itself and what they're looking at, next year without knowing what's going to happen in the transfer portal and freshmen. I don't feel like this is that much different than Marvin Menzies, who could have been going into a fourth year, and T.J. Altsberger going into his second year. Where am I wrong? You're not and, wrong. And by the way, like I was optimistic. Like, you know, Menzies lost a job, so, so that, that one kind of blew up. But I was optimistic. I'm saying I, I have a lot of optimism – but I like the next level optimism. Is it some of the stuff that Kevin Kruger said about developing a culture? Does a culture feel different? I'll shut up. I've asked you twice now to answer. I'll stop. You shut up, Cofield. You <laughs> shut up. Let me answer the question. Um, let's go back to that piece of news that you just mentioned about five minutes ago because I think it's relevant to talking about UNLV's future. The athletic director who hired Kevin Kruger at UNLV, just went to a Power 5 school with significantly more resources mm-hmm. and fired her head basketball coach after Kevin Kruger had a pretty promising season all in all with UNLV. And we know the Kruger name certainly plays in the Big 12 and the SEC. Give me just a moment there to update my conference alignment. But I think... <laughs> When you look at Kevin Kruger and the year that he had here at UNLV, you look at a couple of things. One, the team got better. The team improved as the season went on. And that's something we really hadn't seen for a few years at UNLV. I think that's one reason to have hope is to watch them improve as the season went along. Um, But what you have to also look at is that Tyler Bischoff and I on the press box said at the beginning of this season – The same thing we said at the beginning of the previous season. If Bryce Hamilton is your best player and you're having to rely on him in order to win, you don't have a good team. And that changed this year. That changed. And if you didn't see that change throughout this season, you didn't watch enough UNLV basketball, and you don't appreciate the fact that Bryce Hamilton 
is the best player to come out of this program in the last half a decade, and it's not close. The Bryce Hamilton who finished the season for UNLV this year could do literally everything you need to do to be a star on the floor. You don't have another one of those guys walking in the door. The transfer portal changes the entire game, right? You can yep. remake your program quickly. T.J. Otzelberger did it at Iowa State. That's how he remade his program quickly. <laughs> first know, half of the year. For the first half of the year. <laughs> then they, then they I, fell I, apart. Hey, I said it's yeah. been a while since we saw a team improve to the end of the year. Right. So, But what you can do is you can improve incrementally. You can improve the role player spots. And let's be honest here, the transfer portal had a couple of hits here for Kevin Kruger. And there were a couple that don't look so good right now. Uh, yes, Royce Ham came in and played a really good role for this team. But no, uh, you can't look at Jordan McCabe and what he gave to this team this year and say it's what you needed because the backcourt outside of Bry- Bryce Hamilton was not good consistently for UNLV this year. So you talk about the future and you talk about how you feel about UNLV. Yeah, I think this was a net positive year for Kevin Kruger. But that doesn't mean I look at the future of this team and say they're guaranteed to take the next step incrementally in the right direction next year because Bryce Hamilton was such a reason for it. Yeah, I think they go uh, into recruiting season needing to hunt some really big game in the portal. I don't think uh, guys who would project as seven-point-per-game guys, that that ain't going to get it done. Now, keep in mind, you know, we'll let Kruger go through – he talked about some of the players to build around. We'll let him go through the, the names who he believes will be around. Yes, Kruger 5 here. Fire it. David Mwoka's progress from the start of the year to now. I mean, how, how couldn't we be excited about that? How he went out there and, you know, there's a day like today where, you know, he, he gets he learned so much through the reps and the, the minutes he got against a guy like Graham Ike. The growth in, in Webb and how he... You know, didn't play a whole lot at the beginning. He actually didn't play in the San Diego State game at home at all. Came in the next day, same smile, and uh, and got better and ends up, you know, being a huge part, a huge piece going forward, finishing the year. And then, of course, Jordan coming back, one of the top five guys, assist a turnover in the country. Uh, you know, when you got guys like that that just care and work, and I think, uh, of course, they're all going to get better. Vic, you know, nobody really got a chance to see Vic for two months and didn't really, you didn't really know what we were kind of talking about in terms of his elite athleticism and how many guys he can guard. You throw a guy like Vic out there who has the option to have two more years with his COVID year, I think we can be a group that, that just has a lot of fun, has enjo- enjoys working. We can do a lot of different things with that group as the core going forward. I trust that they're going to pick guys who can play defense because I think that is going to be the identity of the program. The guys he mentioned, Mawoka and Vic, I think are third and fourth big men. So I, I believe they need two more bigs. McCabe will be their backup point guard. I don't know that Keyshawn Gilbert will start. I think they have to go after a point guard. They were trying in going after the kid Boswell who committed to Arizona. So I think they need an experienced point guard who's already a guy who's in you know the 9 to 13 point per game range somewhere, probably at a pretty high level. I like Webster, but again, I think Webster's in a rotation of guards, and he's a smaller guard. And and here's the other thing. When they're building this team moving forward, it is pretty obvious around the league, unless someone is at the level of, like, an Isaiah Stevens, right? You can't be small at guard, and Colorado State gets away with it because those guys are so fast, Kendall Moore and and Isaiah Stevens. But at the two and three – 
Candy, you have got to have a group of players who are in that 6'4 to 6'6 range. It is hard being a small guard in this conference. So my point is, and I think Donovan Williams can be a one, like he can be a leader of a team, but Donovan's got to be consistent every day, especially away from the games, to become a one. So I don't think it's impossible. Um, and I don't know that you can ask a program to go out and, you know what, go get me two Matt Bradley types. Now, not Matt Bradley's personality because he's a pain in the ass, but like that level guy who's already a high achiever at a good level school. Can they do it? Yeah, I think they can. I think they're outstanding recruiters. I think they've got a lot of ties to players already. I think they've been working on this for months. Uh, but, again, do not discount that they just had a 22-point-per-game scorer, one of the best players in the country. And as you said, this year, outside of you know super efficiency with shot selection, he became a complete player. That is a tough person to replace, and they ain't going to do it with one person. No, you're absolutely not, and, and you have to look at Bryce Hamilton and, and the steps up that he took this year to match the talent that he's always had. Who on this roster has a Bryce Hamilton level of talent? Maybe you can see that offensive upside in Donovan Williams. That's it, though, for that level of talent on this team. And All right, Kevin Kruger, you want to step into my world for a second and start talking stats? You want to start talking about Jordan McCabe's assist-to-turnover ratio? That's lovely that he was top five in assist to turnover. You know why? Because he averaged five assists a game and one and a half turnovers. That's not high enough level in terms of pushing the play for this team. It's just not it. It's not there. Jordan McCabe, if you look at what he did last year, played 28 games, played 11 minutes a game, right? Averaged two points. This year played 30 minutes a game. Averaged six points. Last year, averaged one and a half assists. This year, averaged five assists. You know what Jordan McCabe did? All he did was take the same level of skill and the same production that he gave a team as a backup and bring it into 30 minutes of play for UNLV. That is not a starting point guard. That is a miss in recruiting, and don't try to put the shine on it if you're Kevin Kruger. I can take it if you want to tell me he's a good kid and he's got the fight. Absolutely. That's the stuff you're only qualified to tell us. But the fact of the matter is, that's a bust in recruiting if that's the kid you were relying on. By the way, none of this talk is out of line. These should be the expectations for UNLV, right? As we said for years and years and years, outside of the fan support they had 10 years ago, which I hope comes back at some point, they've got everything to be a winning program. They're in a conference where Reno has won with almost no funding where Wyoming has done a two-year turnaround, where Boise State, a community that does not care about college basketball, really at all, right? They draw poorly for the success that Leon – I don't even know why Leon Rice is there anymore, but where Boise has been consistent, where Colorado State, Nico Medved basically did, you know, a two, two-and-a-half-year turnaround. The expectations of this team being consistently in the the NCAA tournament mix – is not outrageous. It's not unfair. It's not a constant rebuilding deal here. And with the transfer portal, you do have an opportunity to go out and do a mix of freshmen like Kyron Lindsey, who I think will be a, a good player coming in from Texas, top 100 player. But you have the ability for a quick fix 
to get guys who can come in and be good contributors. And you know what? I, I believe with the staff, I think they are going to go into the transfer portal and hit some home runs. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. Cofield and Company presents Grab Bag. Don't touch it. Don't even look at it. Only on ESPN Las Vegas. We close out with a little more college basketball. You know, uh, Vegas is blowing up this week. It's crazy. Four tournaments going on right now. Last night, the, the late end of the, uh, the night, I'm sitting there and I'm like, okay, I think San Diego State uh, and Fresno is going to tip around 841. At the same time, the Big West was tipping, the Pac-12, and the WAC. Uh, it's pretty crazy. Um, I do want to mention one more time that Missouri has fired its head coach, Conzo Martin. Desiree Reed-Francois, former AD at UNLV, is there. I mean, at a minimum, I hate to think this way, but like, wouldn't she just make a call and be a threat on Kevin Kruger? Do you think she left with any malice in mind? No, and I think Desiree Reed-Francois loves up-and-coming coaches. Yep. And now she's had a year after hiring him and getting good results out of Kevin Kruger, both in terms of recruiting and execution, yeah. to look at him and say, I could have the next up-and-coming guy that I can bring here for the next five years. Right. I had uh, a local Mizzou fan, because I said, do you think she gives Kevin Kruger a call? And he said, I sure hope not. So I then sent back a list that I think the Missouri fans will put together, because this happens every time. Um and I asked the person, who am I missing? Sean Miller, Rick Pitino, Andy Enfield, Eric Musselman, Chris Beard, Bruce Pearl. Uh, that, that list will be the initial list at Missouri because they're just like almost every school in a power conference where they're like, we can get the biggest and the best. Candy, can you give advice to Missouri fans on what DRF, you just said it, will look for? None of those coaches will be a candidate, and especially Sean Miller, who could be looking for work at some point. She will never consider someone like that. Ever, and if someone wants to come over the top and go, but, you know, the boosters and the alums, then they shouldn't have hired her. It's real simple. I'm going to take just a handful of coaches here and say, go ahead and start from the Olympic sports with Don Sullivan in volleyball. Lindy LaRock, the coach of the year in the Mountain West, who now has a championship here. TJ Otzelberger was on the younger side. Marcus Arroyo is on the younger side. And Kevin Kruger is on the younger side. She has a type and that's what she's going to look for. And frankly, even though we here in Vegas don't look at the Otzelberger years as a success, she pitches them as a success because a larger program came and took him. And so we're still kind of jury out on Arroyo right now, but otherwise it worked for her. Any coach who's under, say, like 48 years old at a mid-major program with a clean background will be – a possible candidate for Mizzou if she's got like two and a half, three million dollars a year to pitch at a, a coach. So, and by the way, two and a half, three million dollars a year is a three to four x raise on what Kevin Kruger is making at UNLV, which could be interesting around the Mountain West Conference because uh, the Wyoming coach, young dude, second year, Nico Medved deserves to be at a Power Five program. Yeah, without question. And Linder, by the way, yeah, lit, uh, and look, I don't say this with any, uh, to use your word, malice. But the the Linder who we had on the show the other day is not going to be shy about pitching himself to go to the next school because 
I, I have had I have had conversations in Los Angeles with ne- less name dropping than uh, Jeff yeah. Linder managed to work into that conversation about recruiting Damian Lillard and so on. Dude, he I watched his post game press conference last night, and he said in like fourteen different ways, "This is really us, not what we did in the loss against UNLV." I'm like, "You won the second game. What is like? You're still covering for the first game." Like he, we went back to it. I. Like, seriously, seven or eight times in subtle fashion. And if he stays in this conference, he is going to be a subtle villain. People are going to start kind of start getting some of the stuff he's saying because he can, he can throw some digs in there. There's some arrogance there. But he's a good coach. And I'll tell you, he, he coached defensively in both games. He coached a really, really good game against UNLV. Dude, we have some fantastic villains in this conference, right? Oh, we yeah. really do. Like, start from the absolute top with Mr. Stephen Alford in, yeah. in Reno, who is the, I mean, not only is it, while pretty, a punchable face, uh, he is someone <laughs> who is very, very easy to dislike based on uh, the way that he coaches. And then yeah. then you've got Stomp and Leon bouncing up and down the sidelines, right? Yeah. I mean, Go from there. Then, then you get a guy like Linder who you don't even realize that he told you to f off until ten minutes after the conversation. <laughs> yes. yes. Uh, there's something special about that guy, but he can coach. He can coach. And the other part of it is he's already shown he can recruit. I know he did the name dropping, but if you actually watch Wyoming on the floor, um, I mean they've got, they've got a guy in Brandon Wenzel who was at Utah, who is all of six seven six eight, uh, you know, and, and lands in Laramie, uh, the Odin kid. Again, 6'8". I'll give you someone we didn't talk about at all earlier in the show about why UNLV lost. If UNLV could have kept their freshman Reynolds out of the lane at the end of the first half, it's a different game at the end. He got three buckets. We're on blow-bys. Like, that, that changed the end of the first half. UNLV had a lot of momentum, and this kid just with the blow-bys and three finishes. So he's a nice player. Somehow Linder's getting multiple players out of Illinois to go to freaking Laramie. So I know we're raving about this dude, but he is a good coach. And um, I said earlier I'd be surprised if Wyoming won the game tonight with all the wear and tear here down the stretch. But that's going to be a super physical game. Who do you have on that one? Boise's two and a half. Man, that that game feels like first to 50 uh, is going to win. They both want to grind. They both want to play defense. Uh, I think that Boise State's length on the perimeter is going to make life really difficult for Maldonado. And we've seen that the EK of the past two weeks is not ready for prime time at this point of the season. He needs to get in better shape. He's taken a physical beating. I'll take Boise. San Diego State is two against Colorado State. I know you like Colorado State because they don't play the same basketball everyone else does. They do have elite speed and scoring. By the way, I don't know how much of the game you watched last night with Colorado State and Utah State. I was opposite side of the court on the baseline when – David Roddy saw a little opening to drive and go for a dunk, but it wasn't just a dunk. It was like friggin' he got in front of the rim after going baseline. It was like a trampoline. 6'5 and 255 pounds, and he did one of those, like, he jumps off of two feet, goes up, and then behind his head, like, extension all the way back, and just boom! His athleticism is ridiculous. Now, that all said, I think Colorado State can win this based on what I've seen from San Diego State offensively the last couple of games, and they were they were dreadful last night. Bradley stunk. They took so many bad shots, but I swear every time I do that with San Diego State, 
they either grind it out and torture the other team or they actually come through with a little bit of offense and they win the game. Nico Medved is the coach who's going to break this. He has the two best players on the floor in terms of ceiling with Roddy and Stevens. They don't always play to that ceiling, but they are the best two players on the floor. Give me the Rams. Great job of booking all week long by Ari, getting all the uh, Pac-12 and Mountain West Conference guests on. Some excellent NFL voices today, and Mark McMillan and Marcus Trufant. Come on out here if you can, UNLVTickets.com. Great semis on tap at the Thomas and Mac. The bid will be decided tomorrow, but a lot goes down tonight, and it is going to be rough and tough and super dramatic.